last week. And there are eight of those practices, and we are going week by week, one by one. And this morning, we turn our attention to the reading of God's Word. How, uh, how does reading God's Word form us? And words have a unique place in the world in which God created and now rules over. And we have experienced the power of words in our life. If you think about it, you say words and you're married. Many of you, uh, you might take an oath, you might take some kind of statement before you take a job, and that grants you a certain type of authority. If you think about the president, even though the president gets elected, he is not the president until he says the words. Words have a way of forming relationship or, in some ugly ways, breaking relationship. But words change status. They kind of change who we are, change our relationships. Imagine if you went home today and the family pet began to speak to you. Be safe to say that the relationship between you and that animal had changed. Um, Words matter. And how much more if God was to speak? If the president came in and began to speak to us, we would all, I would hope, listen up, be attentive. How much more if God speaks? When God speaks, things happen. The universe was given order out of chaos when God spoke. God speaks to Abraham and he creates a brand new people, a people he's going to bless and send the Messiah through. In Ezekiel, God speaks and like bones come back together, flesh comes on bodies Spirit comes in him, and they literally come back to life. In the New Testament, Paul even writes that the word, divine speech, when God talks, literally creates faith in us. Now, here's the tricky part this morning as I begin to think about writing this sermon. Uh, If you're a believer, which I assume most of us are, uh, then do you really need another sermon (laughs) on why you should read your Bible? Uh, A reliance on God's Word is something that uh, uh, evangelicalism gets right. That is a real cornerstone of evangelicalism, that we need to be reading our Bibles, that we need to be people of the Word. The Bible, uh, evangelicalism, which is kind of what we all maybe grew up in, it is driven on the Word. We need to read the Word, that we need to be in the Word. So, I think about, okay, i got to get up here and i got to preach a sermon on why people need to read their word. Daily rhythms as to how they read their word. And two things came to mind. One, if we all know that's true, then why don't we read it? Probably like, I know McDonald's is bad for me, but I still get McDonald's. We know it's important, but yet we, we seem to struggle with it. And secondly, is there anything else I can possibly add to the conversation about why we need to hear God's word daily? My hope is that this morning we can step back and look at maybe the why, to get a big picture, a bigger picture of God's Word in our life. And then at the end, come back with some practical helps to kind of help us in the culture in which we live engage in God's Word. Our document that we've been talking about, this rule for life, which you're all going to get in about eight weeks now, this is what it says about the Word, why we should be reading the Word. And this is amazing. It says, our mission of love is guided by divine speech. God uniquely speaks in the Bible, and we desperately need to hear. So we give daily attention to the Bible and to those Christians who have understood and lived it well. 
Through this practice, more and more, our life is informed and guided by things above, even in the midst of competing ideas and inner static. I, I really love this document. I'm really excited for you guys uh, to get it. But I love that. Our mission of love is guided by divine speech. God speaks to us in his word to move us along in the mission, to move us along into this new world that he has created. And what is that mission? It's love. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that's how the Bible helps us, pushes us to love God more and to love our neighbors more. Love. Why is that important? Because, and I will keep talking about this, if we really believed two weeks ago, Easter, what happened two weeks ago, God created a new world. That the resurrection of Jesus is the first signpost that the new world has come. And what is that world? That world is a world of love. That's what that world is. It's a kingdom built on love. And the Bible helps us grow in that. Now, I wonder how much of your initiation, if you've been a Christian for a while, the Bible and love were linked together like that. That the Bible helps us in our mission to move forward in loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. If I had to guess, and I'm guessing because I was probably one of those, most of my initiation was in fear. <laughs> and the Bible, right? Like fear. Uh, I need to read the Bible because if I don't, God's going to be mad at me. Uh, I need to read the Bible more because if I don't read it, then I'm going to make some mistake and God's going to be angry and God's going to whop me over the head. God's going to throw me out if I make some mistake. If I don't read it, know every single part of it, He's going to do something. And while, yes, I admit that there are things in the world, things in the Bible that cause me to tremble, <laughs> If fear is my motivator to the Word, then I've missed it. So if your approach to the Word is, well, you know, I need to read it because I feel guilty or fear or whatever it is. If, if that's what we think about the Bible, then we have missed it. You see, fear will never produce a faith that loves its enemies. Only love can do that. Now, a side note, when I say fear, some of our fears manifest in anger. So when I talk about fear, you might be like, well, I'm not afraid of anything. Well, when you get like really angry about small and petty and insequential things, like that's fear. So fear will not produce a faith that enjoys life in God's new word, world because God's new world is love. And there's been a verse that's really kind of helped me see this. I've been reading it a lot lately, probably the past few months. I've been meditating on it. First John 4.18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So God's Word speaks to our hearts about love. It shows us how we are loved by God and how we are to go out and then love those around us, to love our neighbors as ourselves. So how does that work? If that's what God is trying to get at in his word to show us how to live in this new world, how does it work? Well, we're going to look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, to understand. 
I love this, um, this chapter. It's called The Compassion of the Lord, and it's beautiful. Listen to what God says to us as he looks down at our lives here in 2019 in Corpus Christi. In verse 2, this is what he says. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Endless vitality, endless goodness, endless life is offered to us for nothing, right? If you read the verse right above it. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. Without money, without price. Why don't we do that? Why don't we run to God? Why do we keep sacrificing to a world system that does not satisfy us. We have no reason to refuse God. We have no reason to keep clinging to our idols. These idols cannot satisfy us anymore. No matter how expensive the idol is, no matter how hard we try to make it work, our world is a vast marketplace for the unsatisfying, costly life. There are really God-shaped longings that we have. The world offers us one thing, they're idols. They cannot satisfy us, but we, we grow up in a world system. We're molded by it. We're, we're shaped by it, as Bain would say, and it makes us think, yeah, well, this is the way it's kind of always been, but in Easter, in Jesus's death, a new world has burst upon the scene. A new kingdom has burst upon it, and that new kingdom is slowly growing and slowly overtaking the other kingdom. All those things don't satisfy anymore because they're part of an old system. They're done. They're broken. They, they can't satisfy us. We were never created to be satisfied by those things. That's why they're not satisfying but we keep running back to those. It's kind of like, I was trying to think of a way to explain this, and the best I could think of is that if we lived back in the times when people thought the world was flat, and then they realized that it wasn't anymore, that it was spherical, it would be like trying to plot a course to China, still thinking that the world's flat. Thinking like, well, you know, the shortest way is just go to San Francisco and hop across there to China. But no, if we're still thinking in that old world system, we would think, well, the world's flat. If I go that far, I'm going to fall off. So really what i got to go is all the way back across the United States, all the way back across Europe, all the way back across Asia to finally get to China. That's what it's like. The old world has passed away. First John says it this way, And the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Look, um, that's not just simply poetry. <laughs> The world, its system, is passing away. That's not advice. <laughs> That's not like a, you know, if you really want to be a good boy and girl, you do. No, like that is truth, whether people accept it or not. It is passing away. Lord of the Rings does a really good job of explaining this, so I'm going to be a nerd here for a little bit. So if you have read 
the Lord of the Rings, not just watch the movies, but the movies still count. Um, in the books, they talk a lot about the time of elves. <laughs> the time of elves has passed. So in the book, there's these elves, and they're kind of ruling and reigning, and everything's like perfect, but their time is slowly fading away. They're slowly losing influence. They're slowly kind of dying out. And what has arisen out of that is the age of men, and that's where the Fellowship of the Ring kind of picks up. And the Fellowship of the Ring, the Lord of the Rings, that whole trilogy is about will the age of men be saved? Will men kind of rise up and save the world? Will this age in which men rule and reign survive? And there's battles and there's all these things. And there's this interesting part where one of the orcs says, the age of men has ended, the time of the orc has come after one battle where it looks like everything's going to be lost. And living in the age of the orc is kind of like living in a world without love. They're, they're not really good creatures. They're horrible. They're ugly. They're nasty. Without, that's what the world is like outside of God's kingdom. So we are teleport, transported, pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and put in a kingdom of light. If you've if you've read the books or seen the movie, it would kind of be like being a hobbit and trying to live in Mordor. Like, it just would not work. It would just be, and I know five of you, I guess, have seen the movie or read the book, so I appreciate your nods. Um, it just would not work. It can't work because the Shire and Mordor live their different worlds, totally different things that they value, totally different things that they care about. But the more I reflected on it, really what's going on is really where it works. <laughs> trying to live in the Shire. We're broken creatures who have grown up in a world system that is might makes right, military, military, economic power, all these things. That's what really matters. That's what's important. And we're pulled out of that kingdom and we're put into a kingdom of love. How in the world are we going to live in that new kingdom? Well, God speaks to us in his word about how to do life in this new kingdom. Look back in verse, uh, verse 2. Why do you spend your money for which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Right? Why are you chasing after all these things that's not going to satisfy? It's not going to... What's the answer? Listen diligently to me. Listen diligently. It takes diligent listening to God in order to understand how to live in this new life. It is not an automatic deposit. I, I wish it was, <laughs> but it is not just this automatic, okay, I put my eyes on the page, I read it, and do 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 It takes diligent reading. Now, he's going to define what diligent is here in a minute, but just know this, it's not automatic. We we have to be in it. We have to listen to what God says. So what does diligent listening look like to God's word? In verse 3, he tells us, Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. Wow. Incline your ear, come to me, here that your soul may live and I will make for you an everlasting covenant my steadfast sure love for David God opens up a feast to us 
He's serving rich food in his kingdom. And how do we take part in it? How do we live in it? We listen diligently, patiently, open-minded. We're carefully pouring over the truths of the gospel, of God's people, again and again and again. That's the essential ingredient to life. Jesus said this, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Why does the gospel work with life-giving power? Why? Because eager listening to God's word is the same as coming to him. Incline your ear and come to me. The more we give ourselves to Jesus and his word, that's coming to him. Why? So that we might live in this new world. So, the Bible is not simply okay, I need to go to this to find out maybe how to be a good dad, a good husband, a good spouse, a good employer, a good friend, a good teenager, a good kid, a good whatever. It shows us how to do all those things in God's new world. What it means to be a church member, a a part of the people of God in God's new world. How to be a spouse in God's new world. The Bible shows us how to do all of these things. It's more than just, okay, tell me what kind of movies I should watch or shouldn't watch. Or, no, it's showing us a brand new world and how to live in it. So with my time remaining, just a few moments, if God tells us to come diligently and our rule of life is going to give us some real practical tips. What are some more tips that we can do it? Well, three things, really fast. Number one, I'm going to give you the secret. The secret to reading your Bible is, <laughs> is that there is no secret. You just have to do it, right? Everyone wants, like, give me the 10-step plan. Give me the uh, five ways to get this or that. It's just going to take discipline. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wish I had better news for you. But it's literally just going to take you saying, okay, I'm going to read this every single day. No one is going to come down and make you do it. You're just going to have to say, okay, Lord, I want to know what life is like in your kingdom. I'm going to give myself to this. There is no secret formula. You just got to do it. One thing you can do, though, is start small. Know where you're at, okay? Some of you, maybe you've been doing this habit for years, reading your Bible. You've been doing it for years. It's a really powerful part of your rhythm, and, you know, you're 30, 40 minutes, hours reading every day. That's great. Wherever you're at, know where you're at. If you're not currently reading your Bible, don't wake up tomorrow and go, I'm going to read my Bible for an hour every day. You're not going to do it. All right? I'm just telling you, you're not going to do it. I've been reading this book on self-discipline, and uh, the author wakes up at 4.30 every morning. And he's, he's like, well, this is, this, you just got to get up at 4.30. That's how you do it. So myself, I'm like, I'm going to start waking up at 4.30 every morning. That lasted for like two days. Um, but I said, okay, maybe I, I can't jump straight into the 4.30 every morning, but maybe I can start getting up a little earlier every day. Or maybe there's two or three days that I can start waking up early. In. It's the same thing. Know where you're at in the Word. Here's a good starting point. Ten minutes a day. Start with ten minutes a day. Ten minutes a day. Easy. All right. Now, it's just going to take discipline. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know if that means get out your calendar and slot it off. I don't know if that means just wake up 10 minutes early. I don't know. But start small. Know where you are at. Secondly, the Bible is best done in community. 
This verse from Isaiah 50, man, hit me like a ton of bricks. This was beautiful. The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. That sounds pretty awesome, right? I can speak. I can be kind of this person that's been instructed by God himself. That sounds pretty awesome. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. That is so fascinating. That my approach to Bible reading maybe should be not about me. (laughs) Maybe it should be, you know what? There's broken people all around me. I go to a church. There's broken people at my church. There's broken people in my neighborhood. I need to know how to sustain them with a word. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So, the Bible works best in community, right? So, we as a church, we're coming together during the summer. Jack's going to teach a Sunday school class called Understanding the Bible. It's by John Stott. We're going to post about it, a link where you can go and buy the book. It's a really good, okay, here's a good understanding of how we can engage, how we can read our Bibles. And then in the fall, we're going to do like a New Testament and an Old Testament kind of survey just to kind of help us dig into our Bibles a little more. We want to do this in a community because communities keep you safe. Now, there are some Christian stuff that we should, <laughs> it's not really the best, all right? It's not really good. But if you're reading it and you're in a community and people can talk to you and push back on some things, then do it. I don't want to create this like paralysis like, well, what books am I supposed to read? What, uh, can I read this commentary? Is this commentary bad? Is that... If you're reading and you're just in a community of people talking about it, you are pretty safe. Thirdly and finally, reading our Bible, uh, here's a tip. Do what it says. James chapter 1 says, But be doers of the word and not, only, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. This is interesting. Forgets what he is like. We go to God's word that it might remind us who we are. That we might know who we are. As a mentor of mine once said it, I don't don't go to my Bible, I don't read it to make God love me. I do it to hear him say he loves me. And I... I think that really catches this verse. Because here at the end, it doesn't say, he's like the one who goes away and then stops doing bad things, starts doing bad things, or doesn't do the right thing. No, he says he forgets who he is. Someone who reads the Word and doesn't do it, they forget who they are. So we go to the Bible to hear things like, you are a royal priesthood, that you are my beloved And in hearing those things, and in giving ourselves to it, it will change us. But we got to do what it says. We have to do what it says. So, our challenge this week is going to go out in an email every day. It's going to go out on a Facebook post every day. Tips, scriptures, things on how we can start this daily reading. How we can give ourselves to the Bible every single day. And if we need to start with 10 minutes, then brothers and sisters, let's go. Let's start with 10 minutes a day. Let us pray.